This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Consulting, leading experts for assessing and transforming management, sales, culture, and team performance. Learn more at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Director of Communications for Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. Well, today we have quite the guest, this guy from all the way from the halls of Stanford, business professor now at Northwestern. He's a venture capitalist. He's an author of a book called The Right and Wrong Stuff, How Brilliant Careers Are Made and Unmade. What do you think, Carter, maybe implode? Is that a word we would like to use? I, the word sounds familiar to me. <laughs> so we're going to learn today how not to sabotage your own career. <laughs> exactly. Carter Cast is on deck at the Manage Smarter Podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Carter. Actually, this could take 10 minutes, so I'm going to try and squeeze it down. Carter, you've been had a very prolific career. Um, you're currently clinical professor at the Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management, venture partner with the famous Pritzker family, Pritzker Group Venture Capital. You're working there in early stage tech companies and you advise portfolio companies, right? That's right. All right. Before that, no small feed, the CEO of Walmart.com. While you were at the helm, it became the third highest volume e-commerce company behind Amazon and eBay. We're going to talk a little bit about Amazon in this. And then also work for Blue Nile, the leading online diamond and jewelry retailer. I could go on and on, but we really want to focus so really on the book and career path and all that. Carter, thank you for being here today. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Do we want to start with the five archetypes? Yes. Tell yes. us more about that. Yeah. So I, I, I did research on why good people fail. Yeah, there's so many books written about leadership success and, and managerial success. And I have had so many experiences personally and in coaching uh, others with managerial failure. I thought, are there key themes or reasons that good people, talented, motivated, got game, are the reasons they run into trouble? So I did a couple years of research. I looked at every academic study I could find. I interviewed 100 people who got fired or demoted between the age of 25 and 45. And then I interviewed HR chiefs, uh, executive wow. coaches. And I found these five themes over and over. And so I'll tell you the five themes quickly. Okay. But let me just say that I created these characterizations or these archetypes around these themes to make the topic a little more palatable. So, you know, instead of saying, Oh, I suffer from interpersonal issues. You could say, uh, I have a little bit of Captain Fantastic in me. Yes. I have a lot of Captain Fantastic in me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you look marvelous. <laughs> Thank you. So the first, the first one, and I think the, the one that is the most dangerous is, is Captain Fantastic. And that archetype stands for somebody who's ego-driven to a fault <laughs> and doesn't listen well, is all about themselves in their career, 
and lacks empathy. And because they're self-promoting, they get ahead early in their career because they're very motivated and driven to succeed. But eventually they run into trouble. Eventually they get in a, you know, a multifaceted role with the needs to align cross-functionally and people don't want to work with them because they're self-serving and they aren't empathetic. And so that was by and far and away the, the biggest archetype. And what's interesting is that hurts people later in their careers. As they get a degree of success, they start to think they have the answers and they stop listening to the people who really have the answers, which is the front line. The is there a certain are. age that that seems to hit, like a window of years that you see? It often happened mid and late career, like, you know, 35? late 35. Late, yeah. yeah, late 30s to 50s. And it's more male than female, that archetype, which is why it's Captain Fantastic in you know, the, the way I named it. I like the way you phrase it in the book, too, because eventually you come to a point where you can't, if you're performing well and everything like that, you can get away with it. But eventually you get to a point where the goals are set so high or things happen that, that you're not going to meet your performance goals or whatever. And then you need to, you need to turn to your friends and they're not there. They're not there. That's right. I mean, you've, you've been in these roles that are complex and multifaceted and, you know, you're at a VP level and you need other people. And this person doesn't engender trust because he, he doesn't listen well and he doesn't, there's no quid pro quo. And so finally he just flames out. So be careful with the, you know, it's, it's ego management and it's asking for feedback a lot to understand how you're really perceived. Second one is happens early in the career, I found. It's the solo flyer. That's somebody who, it's that great individual contributor we've all had working for us that is so effective that you promote her into a management position. And Linda Hill of Harvard, who wrote Being the Boss and Becoming a Manager, she basically did ethnographic research around 20 managers she followed as they became managers from, be, from being individual contributors. And she found that they continued to try to do the job that was under them. That's so where they were. They're, where they're they executing. Were. Yeah, they yeah, don't want to delegate. Mm-hmm. That's right. So they micromanage, they overmanage. People become disenfranchised. And, you know, they also don't develop people very effectively. They hand out tasks instead of teaching them to fish. They try to fish mm-hmm. for them. And it's a very common mistake early in our careers. And, you know, this is very coachable. You can work with people around this, but you can't assume just because they were good and they made it to manager that they don't need your help because it's a transformation of identity to go from a player to a coach, you know, from a doer to a, an overseer. And it's, and it's not easy. Right. What's number three? Number three is the one that scares me a lot. And it's the version 1.0, which is someone who lacks adaptability. Because I'm 55 now, as I age, and I'm still investing in you know tech companies that are led by 30-year-olds, I have to stay current. I have to understand what software 25-year-olds are using and what methods they're using to conduct business. And so this person runs into trouble because they don't adapt well to change, changing circumstances. The changing circumstances could be a new technology that enters the market, you know, artificial intelligence, voice you know, big data sets with machine learning. It could be anything. They aren't curious. They basically get complacent and they get in a groove and the groove turns into a rut. Mm -hmm. I feel like that one's most common, right? What's that? Is number three the most common because it is so broad? The the two most common are interpersonal issues, which is Captain Fantastic and this one. 
But I also think that new competition entering the market too would also you know, be a real danger to number three. You're absolutely right. It's not just about technology entering. It could be a new a new competitor that that necessitates a change in your business strategy. And this person, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They don't like change. It could be a new boss that they get, mm -hmm. and they don't know how to adapt to a different style of a new boss. It can be, you know, it's just about being flexible. This one and mm -hmm. cur and curious. So you could be a slow adopter, or but these some people can, in some cases, be zero adopters. Like, don't make me change anything. Just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Let me do my thing. And, and you know, Corn, the Corn Ferry looked at the most, there's one attribute that was present in promotion at any level, from manager to director, director to any level, and that was learning agility. Mm -hmm. And they defined it as a combination of traits, open-mindedness, being reflective and thoughtful, curiosity, having these disco this discovery orientation, experimenting, questioning, obs observational skills, associational thinking skills. And, you know, it's, I think it's just, it's having this learner's mindset. You know, I also think there's another one that's really important. And Audrey and I were talking about this before you came on with us today, Carter. She said that, well, if you can just recognize that you're one of these five archetypes, and I said, yes, that, that first half of the sentence is the most important. <laughs> if you can recognize, and it's the self-awareness that I think that really trips up a lot of managers, especially as they get mid-career. I couldn't agree with that more. The, I just read in a recent issue of Harvard Business Review, I think it was February, a woman named Yurich, I think her name's Talia or Tasha Yurich, E-U-R-I-C-H. She did this meta-study of self-awareness. She looked at 5,000 managers and she gave them this assessment and she found that 10 to 15% of them were adequately self-aware. Mm. 85 wow. to 90% were not. She said wow. it's because there's two types of self-awareness. One is internal self-awareness. Do you understand your own motives, your own drivers, your own strengths, your own weaknesses, your own areas of vulnerability? But the other one is external self-awareness. Do you understand how you're coming across to others? Mm -hmm. And most people don't have both. They might have one and not the other. And so when I read this article, I was like, goodness gracious, you know, you're right. So it all starts with self-awareness. And that means you need feedback because we all have these blind spots that we don't see. Or yeah. they, they say, they think external is, I can see what you're doing wrong and I'll tell you all day long, but I can't see it in myself. That's right. You know, it's so funny. It's like they say, when you're pointing at somebody, remember there's three fingers pointing back at you. That's right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's number four and number five? And then we want to pick your brains on ways to rectify so, some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Four is non-strategic. And this is somebody often who moves up the ladder in a linear fashion and doesn't take cross-functional lateral moves that will help them understand how all the business pieces fit together in a company. So they become, even though they may be very competent at what they do, they become non-promotable eventually because they don't understand the complexities and they don't have framework or a heuristic or way to look at complex problems because they can't see it from multiple sides. So critical thinking, is that a good? Yeah, yeah you'd, okay. you'd say critical thinking and you'd say the biggest fix here is after you get to be competent in one area, look for opportunities to have to take lateral moves in other areas that are important to your business. So you yeah. aren't one dimensional. If you're in merchandising, also take a job in sales or marketing or manufacturing. So you'll see how all the pieces fit together in your company. Then the fifth one is my one of my other favorites. 
it's it's the whirling dervish. Um, so oh, I know I one of those. Some of these. Know, yes. <laughs> yeah, and this was the this is the person Fabulous. who doesn't deliver on promises. Oh. They their eyes are bigger than their stomach. They're well intended. Often they're well intended, smart, creative people who overcommit. They aren't well organized. They can't prioritize effectively, or they just can't say no because they're a pleaser. And I'm a pleaser. I have this problem in spades. So I, you know, my wife, who's a, a litigator, she's a, she says, Carter, I want, before you say yes, I want you to repeat after me. I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> now say it, go ahead and say it, Carter. I'll take it because I'll say yes without thinking clearly about what I have currently on the docket. Yeah. And I think the whirling dervish too is very difficult if you are a member of a team that has that person on it. So, oh yeah, yes. You need a counter. You know, like a lot of these, or a lot of these archetypes, you want other positions inside of a team that have other profiles. So you balance each other. Mm -hmm. It's not bad to have a whirling dervish who's kind of like lots of ideas, lots of creativity, but you're going to need on the opposite side, somebody who is, is, you know, a very well planned, very well organized, sort of a product manager, project manager type. Yeah, driver. I it's Lee is a very creative brain and I am very much about deadlines and driver and tasks because I came out of a newsroom. You have like a deadline every five minutes. It's ridiculous. So and we're combination. We're a great fit. Different work styles. So if you are a hybrid and a combination of several of these, or if you are a clear cut one of the five, we wanted to ask you two different ways of going at this. A how do you fix yourself and not implode your career per the book? And B, from a hiring and talent retention perspective, how do you use these five to not select somebody who's got, you know, a multitude of problems? Well, the most important single thing you can do if you have one of these is first identify what it is mm-hmm. because what you don't know can hurt you. So I, you know, I put an assessment in the book, in the back of the book, in the appendix that I built with the Center for Creative Leadership. So you can sort of get a sense for where you may have an area of vulnerability or a, or a derailment tendency that you need to work on. And then I have in the book, in each, each of these five areas, I have, a, I have between five and 10 corrective measures you can take to work on them. That's great. Secondly, so identify it. Secondly, I didn't understand the value of having a coach, whether it's an informal coach or whether it's, you know, an executive coach or a management coach to help you. Because it may be that you're, you you understand you have this, but you can't see it very clearly. And you need someone who can look at you clearly and keep you honest with yourself, help you build a plan of action around it. So I sort of poo-pooed having coaches. And then when I finally was, it was suggested strongly to me that I get one. Gently, um, no. <laughs> gently, gently. I realized how wonderful, how, how helpful it was. So I, I, I think if you can a spring for it, even if you have a coach for three or four sessions to okay. put a plan together with you, I think that's a, a really good idea. And lastly, always ask, get in the habit of asking for feedback. And you know, if feedback it sounds like such a dirty word, but it's know, usually bad. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be bad, right? I mean. What if I think of feedback in three classifications? There's feedback around a developmental opportunity area, like a skill gap. So, you know, you're really problem solving with them, helping them get better in an area. Then there's feedback around an area of vulnerability that might be difficult, you know, a personality quirk or a trait that's going to be hard 
for them to hear. That's the type we normally associate with feedback. But then the third category is positive feedback around an area that they're strong that you want to help them even amplify further. So, you know, seek feedback, but when you're the feedback giver, give balanced feedback. Feedback that's, you know, developmental, feedback that's tough, and feedback that's really positive to help someone get even better. But don't do a feedback sandwich because that never works. <laughs> you know what I like about this is when I went out of the newsroom into an office environment, it was like a huge culture shock. And one of the things that I was not aware of at all from all my years in broadcasting was the term work style. Work style, what's that? And I like this too, Carter, because if I'm not somebody's direct manager, but I'm working in an office with them and I identify, I can tell they're one of these five. I can tolerate their work style. It's not for me to correct it, but I know what it is and I know how to sort of get along with it. Is that another use of the archetypes? Oh yeah, very, very much so. Uh, and you, and, and is the ball, if you're a, a supervisor, you want to try to people find people who balance each other out because yes. you know, the flip side, um, it's kind of like, Carl Jung says, you know, there's gold in the dark. There's, there's a beautiful, there, there's usually a very, around a derailment area, there's a flip side of a strength that's really leverageable. So for the whirling dervish, the chances are good. They have, this person has a lot of ideas. They're creatively minded and they have energy. So you want to tap into them. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're a um, one trick pony, you're good at one thing. You want to tap into that person's skill in a certain area. And then you want somebody else who's broad, who can sort of, you know, show different parts of the organization and things that you have to consider when making decisions. So I do think that you want to create a balanced team around these different archetypes. Right. Tell me a little bit about the rubber band that you wear on your wrist. Yeah, I don't have it on anymore, but I used to. Well, I got, you know, I, I think, you know, you're right. They say, write what you know. The reason I wrote this book, probably underneath it all, if I get on somebody's couch, you know, and be analyzed, <laughs> was that I, I had a derailment event in my mid-30s because I was sort of a Captain Fantastic who my Achilles heel was, I, I did not, I had sort of a, a oppositional defiance disorder. I did, I did not take feedback well from above. I managed really well with my peers and I was a good boss to others, but I did not like having people tell me what to do that were senior to me. It, it felt suffocating. And, it, and, and so I, I mismanaged several bosses in a row and was wondering why I wasn't getting ahead. And finally, one boss just took a two by four to the side of my head. He said, you're unpromotable. Well, you're not going to get ahead any further because you don't follow direction. You're, you know, you're difficult. You're insubordinate. You're recalcitrant. And I don't, I don't want you on my team. And so he kicked me off of his team. I was demoted and it took me a couple of years to dig out of the hole I dug for myself, but I didn't understand that I had to learn to self-regulate around authority figures and be calm and be thoughtful and count to 10 self-monitor. So one of my self-monitoring self-monitoring devices was I put a little rubber band on my wrist that said, breathe. I love that. <laughs> Just something really simple. Simple. Like yeah. I think from, you know, I do have a question about technology and adopting new technologies, new situations, new whatever. That's one of my things is I have to force myself to do that. 
I have to force myself to learn a new platform or to new, you know, program a new platform or, or whatever. And what is your advice to people like me who, okay, I know that and I know that about myself and I coach myself up, but I don't necessarily want Lee to know that about me. <laughs> and, you know, because I always tell Lee, oh no, I always want to learn the next new thing. Well, I have to force myself to do it, but I do do it. I yep, do do yep. it. You know, I think there's a role we have with friends and, um, you know, our counselors can come from many, many places. If you're, if you, if you have this, you know, whether it's a fear of technology or lack of interest in it, find somebody that you're friends with that is the opposite and actually embraces it. It is, you know, I was talking to Dick Costello, the old, you know, ex-CEO of Twitter. And he just, he says, every time something new comes out, I dabble with it. Yes. And so you want somebody that's like my dad is a dabbler. Hmm. So you want to go to somebody who's a, a natural dabbler to show you how to do these things that you aren't naturally, you don't have a natural proclivity. So, you know, it doesn't have to be your boss who's scary to talk to about this stuff. It can be somebody that you're, that's a peer that's, you know, that, that, sure. that, that that's an associate who's strong where you're weak. And you can kind of help each other in areas where you have mutual strengths. That's great. I should hang up now, right? I should leave the room, right, guys? <laughs> well, you leave the room. So Leon, I'm going to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, speaking of new technology, I mean, you you've have a great deal of experience with that as well when you were hired on to, mm, uh, yes. to take Walmart.com to new heights. And so... Obviously, one of your biggest competitors was Amazon, and that's a, that's a topic that a lot of you know, small businesses as well as middle managers at larger companies are having to deal with. It's like, how do you compete and how do you coexist with a behemoth like Amazon? Well, it's a, it's a hell of a question. <laughs> so, you know, if, let's go back to like business theory. The, if you look at Michael Porter, you know, competitive strategy, um, uh, the, the discipline of market leaders. There's all kind of books written on this stuff. And generally, there's three generic strategies for competition. You can compete on, compete on price, you can compete on service, or you can compete on product, as, you know, product aspects. So product would be like Apple. You, you're okay. the, you have the best product. Price would be Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. And service might be Nordstrom's you know, or Zappos. So you look at Walmart and you say, how do you compete? What's your competition? What's your competitive strategy with Amazon? So do you compete against Amazon on price? No, they got buying power. They're going to crush you. You know, are you going to compete against them on assortment? Mm. Going to be tough because maybe. they have every single third, maybe, but the chances are that they're going to cover most of the ground from an assortment strategy standpoint. Where are they possibly vulnerable, sir? Service? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, define service. If you're talking about logistics, you're not going to get it to a, get it to the customer faster than them. But if you're going to compete against them, you're probably best served to do it in a high consideration category where there is a lot of discretion around the purchase and you need someone to walk you through that. So when I was at Blue Nile, which sells diamond engagement rings, $6,000 diamond engagement rings to uh, single men, I wasn't as worried about Amazon as other people, some of my investors were, because I thought it was going to be hard for them to compete on service in a high touch category because that's not their business model. Right, but so, they are very disruptive, though. The, the very way disruptive. The 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 lockers and now you know I see these little white Amazon vans in my neighborhood literally every day, multiple times a day, and their their distribution system is mind blowing. Now they're going to yeah. be drones. You're not going to beat them on service in terms of speed to home. But if you're talking about the a high consideration product, like, you yeah. know, buying a boat or something, you know, buying an engagement ring, you, you know, you can have them on expertise. 
That's how people started chipping away at Walmart. Mm-hmm. They, would go, they, would, they would do these categories that were difficult in Walmart's business model to compete against. So electronics, Best Buy was successful in using the Geek Squad to advise you on a flat screen TV, whereas that wasn't Walmart's business model to have one of the associates advise you on that. And, and so many times, too, it's not just one strategy that works. Sometimes you have to do like a whole bunch of different strategies and chip away around the fringes. Like for, I, I'm, I recall uh, you know, Miller Lite, for example, when they first came out with the first light beer. And it's like, okay, Bud Light couldn't take them on directly. So they came out with Mick Light and they came out with all of their brands, Bush Light and all these other other light, light you know, beers or whatever and kind of nibbled away at the fringes. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good, a good point, too. You can have a company like Chewy's, which is an e-commerce pet company, they just went so incredibly deep on pets. They have more reviews. They have more assortment. They have more community that the experience of going on to Chewy's is so well articulated around a product category that Amazon can't match it. They can do well in a bunch of verticals, but they aren't going to go as deep as Chewy's in that vertical. So I think you're right. That focus strategy is another way to compete against them. Super interesting. All right. Well, the good. I was just thinking the good news is, is that you have this amazing book and the bad news is, is that 90% of the people who need to read it aren't aware that they need to read it. That's so right. we need to use the hashtag self-aware or self-awareness, I think, when sending out the podcast card. I'm not any of those five archetypes. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we talked about this right before we went on. I will get, you know, I'll do workshops and I will have people fill out the assessment forms and say, none of this applies to me. And you might I, have a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that you know you got to own it. Yeah, it's like I want to stand up in front of the group and go, "Hi, I'm Audrey, and I'm a woman." Hi, Audrey, <laughs> and I'm Captain Fantastic. I'm Captain <laughs> Oh, it's great. Um, the right and wrong stuff, everybody. Go out and get a copy of it. How brilliant careers are made and unmade. Cartercast.com. And then, do you like to talk to people on Twitter? How else do you want people to reach you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn on on Twitter. I'm Carter A. Cast. I do a lot on LinkedIn. I post a lot of material on LinkedIn as well. So that, that's a good medium. And I'm on Facebook too. That's great. Well, it's been great having you on and uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And you know, for those of you who are listening for the first time, please share this. Tell a friend, Carter, you tell all your friends. I'm sure you've got thousands of them uh, on LinkedIn and all of us really, you can help us out by recommending it and subscribe rate and review it. The more that we can get the word out, the more people will hear this. For the repeat listeners and subscribers, we are thrilled that you're back, especially your Carter. All the back episodes and the guest inquiry forms. Carter, you may have a, a peer that you want to suggest to be on the show. The guest inquiry forms and back episodes manage smarter.com. That's easy to remember, right? And we welcome your feedback as well. So I'll take the bullets. Go ahead and email me, Audrey, astrong at salesfuel.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.